are in a series of messages that we are calling more. And if you have your Bibles this morning, let me encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 10 today. Mark chapter 10, whether you have it in a print or a digital form, we'll be looking at a familiar story from the life of Jesus this morning. As you're turning there, uh, we'll go back to the text that we've been using for this whole series. We're in week three of a four-week series that we're calling More, kind of based off of really just, just one thought out of a prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3. As Paul's closing out this prayer in Ephesians 3, that he prays for the church and that he prays for the believers, he ends with this theological truth. And he tells us that there is more that's available for us. And we've been looking at this over the course of the last two weeks. We'll finish up here next week. In fact, here's the, the passage from Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 20. It'll be on the screens. Would you read it aloud with me this morning? Let's read it together. Here's what Paul says. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And as we've looked at this passage over the next or over this series, I hope we'll see four kind of truths or observations about this idea of how we can have more in our lives. And not like a not like a mediocre more, right? He says it's immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. So two weeks ago we started out by looking at that more is possible. And so so each week what I'm what I'm hoping you'll catch is is what we're calling one more thing. Not one additional thing, but one thing about this idea of how we can find more. And two weeks ago, we started with the idea that more is possible. We serve a God who can take our little and he can make something more out of it. And then last week, we talked about the fact that more is from God, that that's where it comes from. He is the one who gives it to us. And we looked at Acts chapter one, and we looked at the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we saw how the Holy Spirit works and moves and guides us. And then on Wednesday night, if, if you didn't have the chance to join us, we had about 260 people here Wednesday night and just had a powerful time of looking at what the Scripture says about the Holy Spirit's power and work in our lives. And then we spent just some really neat time uh, praying around the altar, praying for one another, with one another, asking for the Holy Spirit's power and presence and infilling in our lives. And uh, it was just a really special time that we had together. And so this morning, I want to go to one more thing. One other thing that I hope you'll see about this idea of finding more in your life. In fact, go back and look at verse 20 again. I want to highlight one concept here. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And, and there's, a, there's a portion of that there. If we leave that on the screen for just a moment, that's, that's bold and underlined there. According to his power that is at work within us. Within us. What's that word according mean? It kind of means it's determined by. And so we can have more in our lives as determined by, according to his power that's at work within us. So there's kind of this conditional statement that Paul is making there. He's saying to us that how much more you have in your life is determined by how much of God's power is in your life. And how much of God's power is in your life is, is determined by you. And so at some point, there's decisions and choices we have to make. In fact, we've talked about the fact that God wants to do more. We've talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit can bring more into our lives. Now's today, I want to I put the pressure back on you. It's kind of up to you. How much more do you want in your life? Do you want God's power at work? 
And what I want to challenge you with this today is a thought that may seem kind of counterintuitive. We're going to go to a story in Scripture. I want you to kind of grasp this today and see how it applies to our lives. Here's our one more thing for today. Very simply, less is more. Less is more. John the Baptist may have said it the best when he said, He must increase and I must decrease. God, less of me, more of you. If you want more in your life, it begins with this concept. Less is more. So in able to do that, we're, we're going to go to Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at a familiar story from the life of Jesus today. Today in our, in our next service, as you heard Pastor Matt say a couple of minutes ago, we're going to honor our graduates. And so, um, especially today, and as you see the context of this story, if you, if you consider yourself young, everyone who considers himself young, raise your hand. Yeah, see, we can be in complete denial, right, brother? <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. You consider yourself young. Okay, this is a message for everyone. But if you're a young person, I hope you'll listen to this today because I believe God wants it to speak to our hearts. And before we even get there, let's do what we've done the last two weeks. Right now, in your heart, where you're at, name your more. Where is it that you need more? What is it that you're looking for? It was funny. Somebody said to me this week, they said, this, they were talking about a particular issue, a decision that their, their family has to make. And they said, this is our more right now. God, this is where we need, you. We need more from you. What's your more today? Is it your marriage? Is it your finances? Is it your spiritual life? Is it your future? Is it getting past your past? What is it that right now you say, this is my more? Whatever it is, name it in your mind so that you know as, as God allows us to see truths from his scripture, you can apply it right to where you are today. And as we go through this story, I want to leave you with four questions to ask yourself when you want more. We're just going to kind of roll through this story from the life of Jesus, an encounter that he had with a unique individual. And as we do this, we're going to highlight four questions that in light of Ephesians 3.20 and Mark 10 that I think would be wise for us to ask ourselves. So let's jump into it. Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 17. This story will help us to understand. Let's start here. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Interesting language there, right? He ran up to Jesus. He fell on his knees before him. So this guy's coming with some passion. Can't you see that? And what do we know about this guy? Very little. We know that um, there's a description of him and a little bit different details that we get in each one of the three synoptic gospels. If you're not familiar with that term, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, theologically, are often referred to as the synoptic gospels, in part because they tell many of the same stories. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this same story, but each one gives a little bit of a different slant based on the audience they were writing to and and some of them their own eyewitness details from when they were there. And what we know when we look at this is that Luke calls this guy a ruler. So we know that he was someone who had some community influence. And Matthew calls him young. And as you see, as we read this, we find out he was a wealthy person. So oftentimes we refer to him as the rich young ruler. Have you ever heard of him? Two people went to Sunday school. You ever heard of him? Right? Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. So today, we don't know what his name is. Let's just call him Richie. Will that work? All right, so that's, that's what we'll refer to him as. So Richie comes running up to Jesus, and he has a burning question. Let's go to um, verse 18 and see what Jesus says to him. He says, why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone, which is kind of interesting that Jesus doesn't like high-five him and go, you're right, I'm good. You know why? 
He's wanting to find out, do you get this? I'm not just good. (laughs) I'm God. Do you see who you're talking to here? Do you recognize the importance of this interaction? Verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And so what Jesus says to him is, here's the standard, if you want to know how to get to heaven, keep the commandments. Right? Jesus is giving him just a very basic answer. Because he wants to see where this guy's heart really is. Watch what happens next. Verse 20 of Mark chapter 10. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. The guy's not bragging here. He's actually saying, look, I've got, I've got that part covered. What I want to know about is something, um, what's a good word? Uh, more. <laughs> I want to know something more. In fact, look at what Matthew tells us about this same story. Matthew chapter 19, verse 20. Here's the guy's response to Jesus' question. He says, all these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? He's saying, look, I've done that. What I'm looking for is something more. I got the basics. My heart's in the right place. I want something more. And then Jesus gives him the answer he did not expect. And the one that today you might not like to hear. Mark chapter 10 verse 21. Jesus looked at him and said, no this is Jesus looked at him and loved him. Isn't that interesting? Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Seems like a really good time to take another offering, right? (laughs) Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Pretty extreme answer, isn't it? A couple of things that are interesting to note in that verse as we talk about it. I love the beginning of that that says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus is about to say something really, really hard to him. In fact, if you know the story, you know it's something that's so difficult that this guy can't receive it. But Jesus doesn't say it out of anger. He doesn't say it out of judgment. He doesn't say it out of this intuition to try to hurt the guy you know why he says it he says it because he loves him and this is key for some of us to grasp today jesus work in our lives is motivated by his heart of love for us sometimes we we question why does god do what he does how does god work in our lives why do things happen the way they do but jesus work in our lives is motivated by his heart of love for us let where we go today start there with you That if at any point through this message the Holy Spirit kind of prods you or pokes at you or you sense like God is working something out in your life, realize it does not come from condemnation and it does not come from judgment and it does not come from anger. When God works in our lives, what's the primary motivation? It is God's what? It is His. It's His love. It comes out of His love for us. And scripture tells us that, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But even more, if you go to Hebrews chapter 12, when it talks about a father's discipline, it says, why does a father discipline his children? He disciplines his children because he loves them. So Jesus says to this guy, he says, look, I know you've got the basics covered, and I see you want more, so let me tell you where you need to go. There's... There's one thing you lack. 
There's this thing you got to deal with. If you really want to take these step forwards, steps forward in your life, if you really want to move your life in the right direction, you got to you got to deal with this one thing. There's this one thing you've got to take care of. And he tells him that you need to deal with it. And Jesus basically says this. He says, you know what I want from you? He says, I want everything. I want everything that you have. Whatever it is, I want you to give it to me. See, here's, here's where we get, um, we get spiritual ADD sometimes, if that makes any sense. Because we say, this is the thing I want, God. This is, capitalize it, this is the thing. God, I want more of you. God, I want your blessing. God, I want my family to model your word. God, I want my life to account for something for your kingdom. God, this is the capital T, capital H, capital E thing that I want from you. I want the thing until we look over there and see that thing. And then we say, God, you, you hold on to the thing because I'm coming after that. I'm just going to come over here and check out that thing first. And I get distracted so much by that thing that it takes my attention off of the thing. The one thing that matters, the one thing that lasts, gets sidetracked in my life so many times because even though I want to head in the direction of the thing, I start looking towards that thing. Does that, is that just me? If you want the thing, you can't go after that thing. And at some point, it's just the reality. You have to make a decision. What is the thing that matters in my life? If I'm carrying a bundle of stuff, and my arms are full, and then I see the thing that I want, it's really hard for me to pick the thing up if my arms are full of that things, right? And some things we've just got to realize we have to hold them. We have to treasure them. Can I tell you, and, and I've, I've been in this role almost 10 years now. Um, I'm pretty comfortable when I'm, when I'm standing in front of people, when I have the opportunity to communicate, especially at this church. I'll tell you, the one time that I am always most nervous when I stand on this platform, it's during baby dedications when people hand off that little bundle to me. <laughs> Here's why. I've had three of them, okay? By our third, we were just picking him up by the nap of the neck, right? It's just, I'm not nervous about it, right? And he's fine. He's big. He's tall. He's fine, right? But that's your kid. And oftentimes, it's your new kid. And oftentimes, you don't know how to handle him yet, right? So I turn to take that child, and the mom or the dad hands that child to me. Now, it wasn't you when you did your baby dedication, because you were perfect. It was that other family in the second service. And they handed them to and the head's flopping one way, and the legs are going another, and you're holding them the wrong way, and i got to turn them the right way so that you can see how cute they are. And that thought runs through your mind. You're going to drop little Sally. <laughs> right? Why? Because at that moment, when you take hold of... The thing you can't try to hold on to anything else. If there's one thought, if there's one idea, if there's only one thing you grasp, and I tell you this, even out of this whole series, this was what was at the heart of this for me as we were preparing this. It's this statement. How much more from God you experience in your life is directly determined by how much more of God you allow in your life. How much more from God you experience in your life? Because if I asked you, hey, do you want more from God? 
Just about every hand in the house would be raised. And you say, yes, I do. But how much more from God do you experience in your life? It's true in Ephesians 3. It's true in this dude's story. Is directly determined by how much more of God you will allow in your life. It's up to you. You set the brakes. You tell God how much he can have and how much he can't. How much more you get from him is directly determined by how much more of him you will allow in your life. So we at some point have to start with the question, how much does he have? Because if, if Paul said that his more is in our lives according to his power at work within us, then we have to determine how much of his power is even at work in me. Here's the first question. If you want more, ask yourself this. Number one, what is currently determining the power of God at work in my life today? What's the determining factor? What is currently determining the power of God at work in my life? Is it your schedule? God, I'd like more of you, but I'm just really busy. Is it your desire? You talk about the thing, but you're chasing that thing. Is it choices that you've made? Is it relationships where you've put other people in the place that only God should be in? Is it unhealthy patterns? Jesus said in John 15, 4, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Did you see what he said? You won't have more from me unless you have more of me. Which for Richie was a really tough thing. Go back to verse 22 of Mark chapter 10. It says, and, and, and just before I note this, this is the only time in the gospels where someone has this emotion after an encounter with Jesus. You don't see this anywhere else. Watch this. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Only one guy walks away from Jesus sad. Was it Jesus' fault? The interesting thing is he went away sad because he had great wealth, and he wasn't willing to put that thing aside for the thing. Now let's just get one thing, just kind of close, uh, closed up right away. Possessions are not always the thing. And sometimes we look at this passage and we just say, anybody that has wealth is bad, or anybody that has things, that's wrong. The issue here is not positions. The issue is that it was his thing. Possessions aren't the thing that this is about. They were his thing, right? What was the thing that was between him and God? It was his possessions. So if you don't have a lot of possessions, it's easy for you to say, well, this is a passage for rich people. Jesus' point goes a whole lot deeper than your pocketbook on this one. He was talking to that guy and making a broader point. His face fell because he did not want to give up what he had for what Jesus had for him in return. And here's the truth. In order to experience more, we must identify and resolve the thing that keeps us from more. In order to experience more, We've got to identify and then resolve the thing that keeps us from more. If it is your possessions, if it is your wealth, if it is finances, then you probably need to talk to God about that. But in just a moment, we're going to go into a whole different list. What is, what is the one thing for you that you need to look at and deal with in your life? Because somewhere there's something 
that, that may be blocking you and you keep coming back to it. There's a couple places in Toledo right now and you could probably name them where there's, where there's barricades that say this road is closed and they're major thoroughfares, right? And they're places where you would normally go to get someplace but because of construction, it seems like every other road has one of those. There's one that's been closed for over a year now and I keep going back there. I don't know why. Just in my mind, when I think I got to get from A to B, I know that I can go this way. And in my mind, I think that's kind of a shortcut. I know what I'm doing and other people don't. Until I always pull up there and I go, oh, it's closed. And now I either got to go back a mile or ahead a mile before I can get where I want to go in the first place. Because there's something that's blocking me from getting where I want to be. This is what Jesus was talking about. He says, look, dude, you want to get to this place, but your possessions keep blocking you from where you want to be. And you keep coming back here. You keep letting that thing over and over and over again keep you from that. So if you say you want more from me, then you need more of me. But this is the thing that keeps you from getting what it is that you say that you want. And when something in our lives becomes more important than Jesus, it must become less. Because less is more. Does that, does that make sense? See, Jesus' issue with this dude was not prosperity. His issue was idolatry. Prosperity is not the issue, but prosperity becomes a problem when it becomes your idol. And when something in our lives becomes more important to us than Jesus, then that thing must become less because if it does not, it will destroy the things in our lives that God wants to do. I'm just going to read this. This is a story that was in the news this weekend. Officials believe a man in Cincinnati accidentally lit his house on fire after attempting to kill bugs in a bedroom. (laughs) Firefighters were dispatched at 11 a.m. on Friday morning, and according to the Cincinnati Fire Department, the occupant of the house... I can't, I don't know what this means. So if you have experience with this and can help me, I really don't care. But it says that the occupant of the house was spraying alcohol to kill bugs in the bedroom. Does that work? (laughs) After spraying, an ashtray which contained a lit cigarette was knocked over. The cigarette ignited the alcohol fumes which started the fire. No injuries were reported in the incident. The estimated damage to the house is $25,000. And everybody said, well, he's a rocket scientist. <laughs> right? What are you thinking, genius? You're doing goofy stuff, chasing after this one thing, and you almost lost everything that you have. And Jesus looked at Richie and said, what are you doing, genius? You're, you're chasing after this one thing, and you're going to lose everything that you have as a result. And the Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart right now. Not out of anger, because he looks at you and he loves you. But he says to you, what are you doing, genius? Because <laughs> you're chasing after this, that one thing. And in the process, you could put yourself in a place where you could lose everything. Jesus says to Richie, one thing you lack. What's your one thing? What is it that in your life, your, the, the, the phrase I've heard so many times that I think is so powerful, what are you white-knuckled about? What are you holding on to so tightly that you have white knuckles? You won't let go of that. You're gripping that thing. And even if Jesus himself asks you to let go of it 
and surrender it, you couldn't imagine doing it. What is it that you lack in surrendering that thing to Jesus? If Jesus was talking to you, what would he say to you? What is, what is that one thing that you need to deal with? Second question today, what would Jesus say is the one thing that I lack? For the rich young ruler, it was, hey, you need to deal with your possessions. But what is it for you? If you and Jesus sat down this afternoon and had a big bowl of ice cream, because if you eat ice cream with the Savior, there are no calories, and everybody said, Amen. what would Jesus say? That's not in the Bible, but I sure wish it was, wouldn't it? I can see all of you going home with your Bible and Rocky Road, right? I mean, it's just, okay. Number two, what would Jesus say? is the one thing I lack. What is it that until you deal with it, it will keep you back from more? Is it wealth? Is it possessions? Is it that you're chasing so much after stuff that you miss the thing? Is it lust? Is it, is it a hunger for these things that you wish you could have, but it's just a fantasy? Is it drugs? Is it alcohol? Is it something that you keep putting into you because of what you hope it will give to you? Here's something where we get so confused sometimes. We do things because we think it will gratify us. But we confuse what gratifies us with what satisfies us. There's a big difference between the two. What will gratify you in the moment will usually not satisfy you for the long term. Is that what you're chasing after? Maybe that one thing you lack is that you've not dealt with the fear in your life. And at every corner, you come back to that fear. Maybe it's an attitude and one that you're proud of because everybody knows you for who you are and for what you say and for how you live. And it's that one thing that blocks the flow of what God wants to do in your life. Maybe it's past hurts. Maybe you can't move forward in a relationship because you keep going back to that one that hurt you. Maybe you can't move forward in the work that God wants to do in your life in a local church because you keep going back to that place where you got hurt in a local church. Maybe that's one thing. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's people that you know that as long as that person is in front of you, God can't be the one thing that you go after. Maybe if you and Jesus sat down this afternoon and he said one thing you lack, it would be that you need to deal with the issue that sometimes you choose convenience over integrity. You do what's easy instead of what's right. Sometimes we even do this in the sense where we say, well, look, I'm, I'm a Christian, and so I know there's forgiveness. Or maybe where we've showed a lack of integrity is actually between another brother or sister in Christ. And we say, well, they'll, they'll forgive me because we're believers, we love each other, and we choose convenience instead of doing the thing that shows integrity. Sometimes what Jesus might say to us, he says, you know the one thing you lack is initiative. The one thing you lack is the will to do something. So do something. I've called you to be active. I've asked you to serve. I've prodded you to do something. So do it. For, for some of you, if you and Jesus sat down... <laughs> It wouldn't be your initiative. He'd challenge you about your misplaced priorities. He would say, look, brother. Look, sister. You're focusing on so many things 
that may seem well and good to you today, but they're not going to last for the long term. I watch this happen in homes and families all the time. When husbands or wives will put good things as priorities over the most important thing in their family. And, and they wonder, why don't I see more? Interesting passage, first, um, first Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Peter said, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And Paul's writing to some people who want to be really spiritual, but he says to them, look, if things aren't right at home, if your priorities are messed up at home, then your spiritual life is hindered as a result. If Jesus sat down with you and said, hey, what's your one thing? Maybe he'd talk to you about your self-worth. Because every time he encourages you, you discourage yourself because you believe the lies that others have told you or you think that your life has no value. Maybe when God challenges you to take a step of faith, you take a step back in doubt. Maybe it's very simple. Maybe Jesus says, you know the one thing that you need to work on before I can pour more out into your life? Jesus would say, maybe it'd be nice if you and I talked every now and again. Maybe it'd be nice if instead of just from 8.30 to 10 on Sundays, you invited me into your life the rest of the week. What if we just spent a little time together? What if before you made a decision, you, you actually sought my Holy Spirit's understanding and power for what it is that I've put in front of you to do. For some of you, if you and Jesus had a conversation, he would say, you know the one thing you lack? You lack the courage to deal with that sin. You lack the will to just say no to temptation. And every time you say yes to that thing, I love you, and you know there's forgiveness but it's keeping you from so much, I don't know what's the word, more. Jesus said to him, there's, there's one thing you lack. What would Jesus say is the one thing that I lack? What would he say is the one thing you lack? And for the only time in the Gospels, Richie's face fell, and he walked away sad, because he couldn't handle it. Watch what Jesus says. Mark chapter 10, verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Puzzling passage of Scripture. Theologians have wrestled over this for for years and try to make an analogy. What is Jesus talking about here when he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? Any of you ever heard that that analogy that says that there was a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of a needle? Have you ever heard that? And that a camel would have to go under that? You research that. That's just a really cool story, but we don't think it's true. That's just somebody trying to explain the fact that what Jesus was actually saying was this. You, you know the phrase hyperbole, where you exaggerate something? Jesus says, you know how hard this is? You try to get a camel through the eye of a needle. You take the largest animal in our 
region and you put it through the smallest thing in your house. That's how hard it is. And Jesus wasn't just picking on rich people. Yeah, he's saying, look, possessions can be alluring and they can put you in a place where you are distracted by that thing from the thing. But here's his point. His point is, look, if you try to do it on your own, if you try to get salvation, if you try to make things right by yourself, it is impossible. And here's what it boils down to. You cannot truly do God's will while at the same time hanging on to your own. You, you, can't, you can't do God's will and see his more in your life if at the same time you're white-knuckled about what it is that is your own. You're holding on to that for dear life because until you let go, until you move forward, you will not be able to know his strength and his power in your life because here's the reality. Whether we're talking about salvation or whether we're talking about that more that you've named, more is only possible because of the God who does the impossible. So if you want more in your life, and we've seen this throughout this series, it, those, that list of things we just talked about, it's only possible to deal with those things because of the God who does the impossible. So here's my third question for you today. This is the thing I want you to think about and consider. What am I trying to do on my own when I should be relying on God? Number three, you want more. What is it that I'm trying to do on my own? Am I trying to fix this relationship on my own? Am I trying to fix this person on my own? And am I trying to get wealthy on my own? Or am I trying to find true love on my own? Am I trying to, you fill in the blank, with your more on my own when I need to be relying on God? Because the only way that it's going to make any difference is if I realize first that if I try to do it without his power, it's going to be a train wreck. Isn't that true? Think of this from scripture. Do you remember the story that God says to Abraham, Abraham, I'll give you a son. And Abraham gets tired of waiting. So what does he do? He goes to rent a mom, right? And he does what he needs to do to have a son. What happens? Train wreck. What happens to Moses when he's tries to deliver the Israelites on his own? What happens? Train wreck. What happens to Samson when he forgets that his power comes from being obedient to God? Train wreck. What happens to David when he forgets that the reason he's a king is because God put him in that place and not because he's so cool. And so he, he calls up Bathsheba and what happens as a result of that? His kingdom goes into a train wreck. Do you remember Acts chapter, is it Acts chapter 19, the story of the seven sons of Sceva? If you don't know this story, check it out. But it's these seven boys of this priest who decide we're gonna go around and cast out demons. And they heard how Paul did it, so they used his same formula. They looked it up on the internet and said, this is what he says, let's try it. <laughs> and they do it. They say, look, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, we command these demons to come out. And this guy with a demon looks at them and says, I know Jesus and I've heard about Paul, but I don't know you. And it says that they run out of the house where he is naked and bleeding. The Bible would be rated R if we watched it on a movie, wouldn't it? Why? Because they tried to do it without God's power, and what happened? <laughs> Train wreck. The question I hope you'll consider, number three, what am I trying to do on my own when I should be relying on God? Last part of the story, Mark chapter 10, verse 28. Then Peter spoke up. We've left everything to follow you. You know what he's saying? <laughs> Lord, we left everything to follow you. Not like Richie. We, we dropped it all. Is it going to be worth it? That's what he's asking. 
And here's what Jesus says. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. And then Jesus puts this fun little note in there along with persecutions. Even when you're following God, will there be times when things don't go right? And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. If the pastor doesn't end on time, as you try to leave this room, there may be a long line. And I want you to remember that the first shall be last, and the last (laughs) shall be first. Here's what he says. He says, look, I know I'm asking you to do quite a bit. I'm asking you to lose everything. I'm asking you to give up everything to follow me. I'm asking you to be willing to say no to that earthly treasure so that you can say yes to the eternal treasure. But I'm telling you, it's going to be worth it. I'm telling you, it's a hundred times more than what you're giving up. I'm telling you, in this life and the next, when you get there, you'll understand why I said to you, less is more. This is why last week at the end of our service, if you remember, we, we had a time of worship at the end. And there, there was the, the end of the, the, the service, we, we sang the bridge to that song, Oceans, that says, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. God, I give you everything that I have because I know that the thing has more value than that thing. Here's the fourth question I challenge you to ask yourself today. What desires for the future are determining my decisions for today? What are are your sights set on? What is it that you're looking to? What is it that gauges and guides your life? What desires for the future are determining my decisions for today? So I'm going to ask Matt to come back, if you would, please. And I want you to hear a little bit more of that song that he sang during the offering. And as he sings this song again for us, on the screens are going to be the four questions that we've talked about today. And as those four questions are on the screen, I just want to challenge you, before we close with the time of prayer, I want to challenge you to ask yourself these questions. And probably, unless I miss my guess, there'll be at least one of them that's somehow going to resonate in you. And you're going to go, okay, God, that's where I'm at. This is the thing that you and I need to talk about today. And before we leave here, I hope you'll do some business and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Where is it that less is more for you? Here's the four questions to ask yourself. What is currently determining the power of God at work in my life? What would Jesus say is the one thing I lack? What am I trying to do on my own when I should be relying on God? What desires for the future are determining my decisions for today? And as you listen to the words of this song, would you consider these questions and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart? Jesus says there's one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And then he says, and you will have treasure in heaven. I don't don't know what your one thing is. 
But I just want to pray with you today that you'd be willing to say, God, here it is. I give it to you because I know that if I make you big in my life and I make me small, then less is more. I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for, for, for just a moment. And um, I, I simply want to ask this. I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but just as Matt was singing, I felt um, the Holy Spirit's prompting. If, if God's speaking to your heart, and, and again, you know what it is. I don't know what it is. But if he's saying to you, okay, today's the day. You willing to say, here it is, God, it's yours. Less is more. I give it to you, and I trade what I've been white-knuckled about for treasure in heaven. Then as we close out in prayer, I'm going to ask you just to stand right where you are. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. Anything. Just, just right where you are. If the Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart and you, you kind of need to make a move, whether you're here in the sanctuary or you're in the chapel or even if you're watching on a screen somewhere, let me ask you to do this right now. I'll count to three. And when I count to three, if that's you and you say, God, this is yours, I, I give it to you today. I ask you just to stand and, and just in a, in a posture of submission, just put your hands before you and, and say, God, here it is. If that's you, just stand with me on the count of three. One two, three. Would you just stand right where you're at? God, here it is. I give it to you. Less is more. I want to put up my treasure in heaven. God, I thank you for your word that speaks to our hearts in so many different ways. Holy Spirit, thank you that um, we don't have to worry about the effectiveness of your word because we know your word will not return void. And so, God, in this moment, you're speaking to our hearts and each one of us very specifically. Jesus, just like you said to that rich young man, there's one thing you lack. Holy Spirit, I know as you speak to my heart about that that one thing. And those of us that are standing, God, take that thing and say to you today, Lord, it's yours. We mark June 7th, 2015 as a day where we say, Lord, we, we want this to be a turning point day. We want this to be a day where we offer this to you. Lord, if your word is true, if less is more, then I want to decrease so you can increase in my life. Lord, we give ourselves to you. We give our lives to you. And Lord, we look forward to knowing that what we entrust to you, we entrust to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And so now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.